wish I was someone else. I'm worthless. I hate my life. No one understands me. I feel so guilty. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. I want to wish you a happy Easter, and I want to remind you that Jesus came to save lost sinners. The Apostle Paul wrote this. It's on the top of the outline that's in your bulletin. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. Do you know that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners? And today we're going to talk about, we've been walking through a series, this is the end of this series, we've been talking about different types of sinners that Jesus came to save, and today we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus came to save disappointed and doubting people. I run into people all the time, and I invite them to come to church, and they go, I haven't been to church in seven years, I haven't been to church in five years and six months, or something really specific like that, and I'll go, now wait a minute, that's awfully specific, why haven't you been to church in five years and six months? And they go, well, I started this business I prayed about it every day, I worked my tail off, and then the economy shifted and I lost everything. And if God is going to treat me that way, then I don't want to go to church anymore. Well, that's the day that I broke up with my girlfriend, and we would prayed about this for years, and I thought she was the one for me, and I'm done. God didn't live up to his end of the deal. Disappointed people, disillusioned with Jesus. And if you ever wondered, well, what would Jesus say to such a person? Today, you're going to get to find out. Because Jesus had a conversation with two men on the very first Easter Sunday who felt that way, exactly that way, about him then. He'd let them down. And what would Jesus say? And so today, if you're here today and you've been disappointed with God, be prepared to be encouraged. Because Jesus changed the way they thought about everything and explained that God has solutions to problems, solutions that we could never even dream of. Today, I have an Easter message of hope. I have a message of encouragement. I have a message that if you've been disappointed with God, you will leave here today, hopefully, with a brand new mindset. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for Easter. I thank you for the good news that Christ has risen. And I thank you that the Lord went right at it. And we have conversations in the Bible where he explained to us why this matters if we've been disappointed with you. Lord, I pray that today you'll encourage us and that we'll leave here today with a better understanding of what you're trying to do in our lives and in this world. Please move me out of the way, Lord. Say to us whatever you want. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Point one, Jesus came into the world to save sinners like the two disappointed men on the road to Emmaus. Point A explains a little more. Two of Jesus' followers gave up on him because Jesus didn't do things the way they thought he should. It's Easter Sunday. Jesus had a number of followers, and two of them are walking from Jerusalem back to the place where they live in Emmaus. It's a village about seven miles away, and they're having a conversation about the crucifixion, about everything that had happened to Jesus, and then about the stories that he had risen from the dead, and they're talking about all these things, and let's jump right into the action. You'll see how this unfolds. That same day, it's the first Easter Sunday, Two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. And he asked them, 
What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short with sadness written across their faces. And then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here these last few days. What things? Jesus asked. Well, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and our other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Now, listen to this. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. We'd hoped, but I guess we were wrong. We'd hoped he'd come to rescue us. They thought that Messiah, that term there, Messiah, and in, that's the Hebrew word, the Greek word is Christ. We thought that the Messiah, which means anointed one, was going to be somebody who was going to be a great military leader. There were prophecies that Messiah would come from the lineage of David. David would be an ancestor. David was a mighty king in Israel, a mighty warrior. And they had hoped that a Messiah would come who would be a mighty warrior king who would free them from the oppression of the Roman Empire that they were under at that time. But now Jesus had died. And so I guess all their hopes were for nothing. I mean, he's a strong prophet and a great teacher, but I guess that was all. And there's a life application for you and me here. We can trust that God loves us and his ways are better than ours because what you're going to hear when, in Jesus' responses coming up on this is that they sold him short. They understood that the Messiah would be a mighty king, but they didn't understand what kind of king. They thought that he was coming to be a political ruler and somebody who would battle and overcome Rome. They didn't understand that he came as the son of God, and he didn't come to conquer Rome. He came to conquer the devil. He didn't come to set up a government here on earth. He came to spread the kingdom of God. He conquered death and the grave. By the way, if that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? That's a bigger picture, but they hadn't grasped it because their picture was too small. And so God loves us, and he has ways that are better than our ways. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And so many times when we face a setback, when we face a difficulty, when we face a disappointment in our lives, we give up on God and say, well, God doesn't care about me. And hopefully what this story and all the verses that we read as we go through this will remind us of is that God has plans that are so much bigger than ours that sometimes we just need to change our focus. In fact, I'd say almost every time we need to change our focus. David wrote about this in Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good, and then you'll live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord. He'll give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord Trust him, and he will help you. David wrote this. A guy who knew what it was like to be disappointed with the way things turned out. He'd been anointed by God to be the next king of Israel, and he had to wait years for that to happen. And during that time, his father-in-law went crazy and tried to kill him. And David still wrote those words and said, I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to surrender this to him. He's got better plans than I do. And however he works this out, it's going to be better for me than I can possibly imagine. The guys on the road to Emmaus are about to get a better grasp on this. That brings us to point B. Two of Jesus' followers doubted him because they didn't understand the scriptures. 
They knew there was a Messiah, and they understand a few scriptures that he'd be a king, and that he'd be a special person from God, and that he would lead God's people, but they didn't know enough. And so let's jump back into the conversation. Then some women, they're recounting again what ha- what's happened over the weekend. Some women from our group of, follow- of his followers were at Jesus' tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. So some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. And then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus said, you guys should have known this. If you'd have read the prophecies, all the prophecies, you'd have seen this happen just the way it was supposed to. Now, I don't know exactly what prophecies Jesus was referring to, but instead of opening your outline, if you, if you just spread it open, on the back side, up in the upper left-hand corner, you'll see 10 prophecies of the Messiah that were fil- fulfilled at Easter by Jesus. Jesus fulfilled these. I just listed 10. There are many more. But here are 10. The first one is, the Messiah will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. That was written 500 years before it actually happened in Zechariah 9.9. The people were singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the Lord. That's Psalm 118. The Messiah will be traded for 30 pieces of silver. Judas did that in Zechariah 11. That was when it was predicted, prophesied. In Matthew 27, you see how it was fulfilled. The third one, the Messiah will be deserted by his friends. Well, all the disciples deserted him. The Messiah will be pierced, beaten, and whipped. That's from Isaiah 53. A couple of these prophecies are. Isaiah 53 was written 700 years before Christ was born. The Messiah will remain silent before his accusers. The Messiah will be mocked and ridiculed. That's from Psalm 22. David wrote that a thousand years before Jesus was born. People will cast lots for the Messiah's clothes. None of the Messiah's bones will be broken. That's part of Psalm 34, as well as Exodus 12. Exodus 12 was written 1,400 years before Jesus was born. The Messiah will be buried in a rich man's grave. Joseph of Arimathea gave Jesus his grave. The Messiah will not rot in the grave, Psalm 16. Now, Jesus is saying, if you guys would have read these things, he would have given them examples like this and explained these had to happen. They would be going, oh, well, yeah. I mean, they'd given up on Jesus. He was a great teacher and a great prophet, and he did some miracles. But they never tied all this together until Jesus explained it to them. He said, you don't understand this. And by the way, there's something that you might find very interesting here. Somebody calculated the statistical probability that one person by random chance could fulfill even eight of these prophecies. And again, there are many more than these. But just eight prophecies being fulfilled by one person from sources written 500, 700, 1,000, 1,400 years before it ever happened, that one person by chance could fulfill all these prophecies. The statistical probability of that would be one in 100 quadrillion. That's one followed by 17 zeros. To put that into something we could grasp, if you took the state of Texas and you covered it in silver dollars two feet deep, And then you took one silver dollar and took a magic marker and put an X on it and threw it out somewhere in Texas. And then you took somebody from Alabama, put a blindfold on him, flew him over the state of Texas, and they parachuted out blindfolded, landed, and walked 10 miles in a certain direction, took off the blindfold, bent over, and they happened to pick up that silver dollar with the X on it. That would be the same chance. 
And so when Jesus says to them, he goes, well, the reason you haven't understood this is you haven't understood at all what the Messiah is supposed to do. The reason you're giving up on him is you don't even understand the big picture. Now flip your outline over. There's a live application for you and me. Spending time in God's word will help us understand God's will and his ways. They didn't understand what God was doing. They didn't understand what God's will in this. They hadn't spent enough time understanding what God had already told them. And you and I can do the same thing. We can sell God short and we can get disappointed with him. We can't realize that he is working things out in our lives in ways we haven't thought of yet because we haven't spent enough time in his word. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what's true. Make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And as we spend time in God's word, he'll show us things about himself and the way he's working in the world. And we'll go, oh, I never thought of it like that. Paul in Romans 12 too, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. <coughs> His good, perfect, and pleasing will. This is the will, when we, you and I want to understand God's will, if we spend time in His Word and we spend time with His people discussing His Word, well, then all of a sudden it becomes clear oh, there's a bigger picture here. Let me, let me just show you what I'm talking about. This isn't just for me, this is, many of you have experienced this. As you've spent time in God's Word, you've changed the way you think about money. You've changed the way you think about the future. You've changed the way you think about your past. You've changed the way you think. If God has changed the way you think through the time you've spent with him in his word, would you raise your hand right now if that's happened to you? A lot of hands have gone up. That's why if, you, if you're uh, visiting with us today, if you come here often, you'll hear us say that the word of God is our guide in all matters of faith and practice because God wants us to cooperate with him. And just like the two guys on the road to Emmaus, we sell him short. We give up on him and we get disappointed because our plans didn't work out and we never even asked God about his plans. Skip down to point two. You'll see what I mean here. I, I want to go do this. I'll come back to that point C in just a minute. Here are four reasons it matters that Jesus rose from the dead on Easter. I mean, the guys on the road to Emmaus, they missed all these ten prophecies. We can miss these four reasons real easily, too. The first one, when things seem hopeless, God's not finished. Things seemed hopeless. We had hoped he was the Messiah. I mean, he was a great teacher, great miracle worker, great prophet. We had hopes, but... And we do this. We give up. And Easter Sunday morning hadn't happened yet. They gave up after Good Friday. And if they'd have just hung on till Easter Sunday, they'd have understood that, hey, this seemed hopeless, but God had a bigger plan. They just needed to wait. David, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. <coughs> I'll never forget, um, my youngest son, by the way, Graham is going to be graduating from college in a month or so. No more tuition. Yahoo, that's another sermon. Anyway, but, um, but the idea is that when uh, he graduates, I want to be there and celebrate with him. I remember on my graduation day, my parents were there celebrating with, he, with me. My grandmother was still alive. She was about 90 at the time, and she came along, and she wanted to see this. And so we were all celebrating how great it was that I got my diploma. I was getting pictures with cap and gown, holding a diploma with mom, dad, grandma, and all this. And then my grandmother, while we're taking photos, she got, taps him on the shoulder, and she goes, 
hey, John, how many students go here? I graduated from Kansas State. There were about 20,000 students at the time. I said, well, about 20,000 students, Grandma. And she goes, well, so at least 10,000 girls? Yeah. And she goes, so you went here four years and you didn't find anybody to marry? I mean, she believed that if you were 22 and you weren't married yet, you were, I mean, you'd missed it. Okay, I don't know what was going to go along with you. Well, I told her, I said, well, Grandma, I, I had surrendered my life to Christ while I was in college. And I said, well, Grandma, I'm praying about that. I'm confident God will have somebody for me. She goes, well, I hope so. Okay. Well, anyway, what she didn't know and what I didn't know was in the next month and a half, I would get a job that would move me down to Montgomery, Alabama, and the very first day, when I got to Montgomery, Alabama, I met my future wife, Debbie. And I fell in love with her at first sight. And I could not wait to call Grandma. (laughs) Be still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for him to act. These guys gave up on after Good Friday. It's all over. We had hoped. And Jesus said, what do you mean you'd hoped? He had to go through all this. And didn't you read that one prophecy about the Messiah will not rot in the grave? Why are you doubting? God can do amazing things. And that same word would go out to us today. David, who had to wait to be a king, be still, wait patiently for him to act. If you read those next few verses, quit being angry, quit fretting so much. It really says that in Psalm 37. You could read the whole thing. Mm. That's a word for us today. I hope that Easter Sunday will teach us that when we think everything's over, when, we think, when things seem hopeless, God's not finished. In fact, could we read that out loud together, please? When things seem hopeless, God's not finished. Some of you need to hear that today. You do. That's part of the message of Easter. Point B, God can use even bad things, painful things, disappointing things. Put in there whatever word works best for you, for our good. We need to remind ourselves of this too. I mean, these were people who loved Jesus. Remember, he turns to them and he said, what things? And they had pain written all over their faces. Didn't you know about all the horrible things done to this wonderful man, Jesus? Painful things. Yeah, but the pain that was inflicted on Jesus... Even that prophecy that Isaiah wrote when he was talked about being beaten and whipped and all this, he was beaten for our transgressions. By his stripes, we're healed. God used all the horrible things done to Jesus to pay the penalty so you and I could be forgiven. If that's good news to you this Easter, would you say amen? God could use those horrible things, all the wrath that was due you and me was poured out on Jesus. Just Jesus said, I want to take John Schmidt's place. I want to take your place. I'll die so you can live. I'll be beaten so you can go free. I will be the one who spit upon so you can be elevated into glory. Because he loves us that much. Romans 8, 28, Paul says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I mean, the illustrations are too many for me to count. I pray with people after a job loss, after a a relationship breakup, after a a move that they didn't plan, after a business reversal or things, and people going, how in the world, what am I supposed to do now? And over and over again, two years later, five years later, ten years later, we talk, hey, how'd that turn out? And they go, you know, it's the craziest thing. 
I thought this would be the worst thing that happened in my life. The truth is God opened up amazing doors for me. I mean, he knew better than I did what I needed. That's part of the story of Easter. Jesus on the cross knew better than we did what we needed. And so God can use even bad, painful, disappointing things for our good. Again, if that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Point C, if Jesus is strong enough to overcome death, well, then he's strong enough to overcome any other problems we face. I mean, don't miss this about Easter. What things? Well, the things that happened to Jesus, I mean, these are terrible. Well, yeah, but they had to happen. How could you be so foolish, and why would that discourage you? The Messiah is going to overcome all of this. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. What Paul says is when you surrender your life to Christ, the promise that Jesus gave his disciples is for you too, that he would send the Holy Spirit who would be with us and who would be in us. When I give my heart to Christ, he sends the Holy Spirit to live inside me, to empower me, to guide me into truth. So the strength I've never had before, and I never would have on my own, God supplies it. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. Would you say that with me out loud? The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. Oh, if we just believe this. That's what Paul was saying. I just pray that you'll understand this and believe this. I've never been able to overcome an addiction before. I know that's why you come to Christ, because he'll give you the power to deal with it. I've never been able to face this problem before. I know that's why you come to Christ. He'll help you face it. I've never been able to forgive before. I know that's why you come to Christ. He'll give you the strength to forgive. This is part of the story of Easter. It's part of the good news. If the grave is conquered, what other problem is too big for Jesus to solve? And finally, point D, we no longer need to fear dying. The Spirit of God who also who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, just what we said. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he'll give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Man, that's good news. I loved it that at Billy Graham's funeral not that long ago, he had tape recorded a message where he was telling people that he wasn't afraid of dying and he was looking forward to it. He had recorded it so it would be at his message that he would be alive and well in the presence of Jesus and people don't need to worry. I think I'm going to do that at my funeral. <laughs> my wife is going, no, you're not. Okay, anyway. Uh, but isn't that excellent news? I mean, think of this. Death has been overcome. We no longer need to fear dying. We don't need to fear God's judgment. Christ paid the penalty for all our sins. All that wrath was poured on him. That's why he was so brutally beaten and whipped and treated so horribly. The grave is empty. The angel rolled the stone away, not to let Jesus out, but to let the women in. Come see. He's not here. He's long gone. The grave can't hold him. Come see for yourselves and then go tell everybody else. That's the message of Easter. So when we get disappointed with God, 
The men on the road to Emmaus were disappointed because they didn't understand the prophecies. We don't understand the prophecy, promises. When things seem hopeless, God's not finished. God can use even painful and disappointing things for our good. If Jesus is strong enough to overcome death, what problem is too big for him to handle? And we no longer need to fear dying. These are promises for us today, this Easter. And just like the men on the road to Emmaus, open your eyes, is what he'd tell us. And that brings us back to the story, point C. Those two followers of Jesus stopped doubting and believed when Jesus revealed himself to them. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. They'd completed the seven miles. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, hey, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it, and then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. And then they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? That's not an experience just for them, by the way. The life application is Jesus will reveal himself to us too if we seek him. Hebrews eleven six says, anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Over and over again, people tell me, John, I was reading my Bible, and as I was reading this, it was just like my heart was just on fire. I mean, my heart was beating out of my chest. Or John, when you were speaking the other week and you read that scripture, it was just like I knew God was talking to me. Well, when God does that to us, it's his Holy Spirit working out through his word. It's his Holy Spirit reaching out to us through other people. It's his Holy Spirit answering prayers. He still does that today. And if you've been disappointed and discouraged about things in life and you've wanted to give up on God and saying, God, are you real? Seek him anew. Reach out to him and say, God, do you have a better plan for me? God, would you show me your will for my life? If we seek him, we'll find him. And he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Please be encouraged today. We give up on God. He's the one who hasn't given up on us. Last point in your outline. Tied all together, Jesus came into the world to save sinners like me. Put your name in there. Jesus came into the world to save sinners like John. We're all sinners. That's why we need a Savior. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in John 20, John says this, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the one recorded in this book. But these are written so that you can continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you'll have life by the power of his name. Jesus himself said, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So on Easter Sunday, 2018, the question for you and me is, will I seek him? Will I ask if there's a bigger picture to my life than I've ever grasped? Will I trust that the God of the universe, the creator of the universe who made me, has plans that exceed my own? Will I trust that he actually loves me and does what's best for me even if I don't understand it? And will I trust that he will guide me and he'll walk me along the right steps if I follow him. Because if I do, well, then I don't need to be discouraged no matter what happens. Because God is with me. He is for me. 
He loves me so much he sent his son to die in my place. Why would he withhold anything else? Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for the wonderful promises of Easter. I thank you for opening the eyes of the men on the road to Emmaus. I thank you, Lord, that when they realized who you were, Lord, their hearts had been burning. And they go, oh, we knew there was more to it. God, I pray that you will give us hope again. Lord, the scripture says they ran back to the other disciples and told them we've seen the Lord. And they went from being dejected and sad and hopeless to being filled with hope and confidence because you made it plain to them. And Lord, all this is recorded so we can have that same hope. I pray that today, Lord, that someone in the sound of my voice who's been disappointed and thinking that life has passed them by, Lord, that you would remind them that you are active and you are doing more behind the scenes than what's going on in front of our eyes. That you're accomplishing things that we can't even imagine and we just need to trust in you. Father, forgive us for being so doubtful. Forgive us for selling you short. Forgive us for not spending enough time in your word and even asking your perspective on things. Help us to trust you more. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us a hunger to spend time with your people and discuss things and to encourage each other so we can face the future unafraid and embrace all that you have for us, both in this life and eternal life in heaven. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Easter. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Christ our Lord. Amen.